0: Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 42. Uh, Go to Psalm 42. We're not going to read the whole Psalm, but Psalm 42. uh, We want to read verses 6 through 8. This morning, I just want to share with you a few thoughts from a few verses of Scripture in this Psalm. Psalm 42 verses 6 through 8 on pursuing God in discouragement. Pursuing God in discouragement. Listen to what the Bible says. It says this uh, in Psalm 42 uh, verses 6 through 8. I'm reading from the 2011 version of the NIV. It says this, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Pizar, Mizar, excuse me. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. One of the most difficult things for us to ever do is to pursue God in discouragement, to pursue him in discouragement. Maybe we could just close that one door, I'm getting a glare off a car when it hits my eyes, and I... Uh, You don't want me to put on sunglasses up here, though I probably would look much cooler. Uh, I'm just not. Um, Thank you. One of the most difficult things for us to do, though, in our discouragement is to pursue after God, to go after God. Sometimes we, we have this tendency on occasion to point our finger at God and say, God, somehow your... You're at fault in this. You're to blame. You know, we have taken some of the arguments that the world often uses with regard to difficulties and problems and evil in the world. And as Christians, we have had the tendency to sort of embrace some of those arguments that suggest that God should not allow any of the bad things that are happening to me at the moment to happen and yet he is. So therefore, God, it's all your fault. I am so grateful that we have the Scripture to run to because we find in the Bible many different examples of individuals who were dealt a very difficult hand in life from time to time, and and things came at them in such a way that were negative, that were contrary, that were difficult for them to handle, and yet Though they struggled with it, and Psalms, this is the wonderful thing about the Psalms. When you read in the Psalms, you'll find how raw it is about emotion. How raw it is when it describes life. How, how absolutely honest the psalmist is. And, you know, as Christians, we have the tendency to not be too honest from time to time, right? We've always got to be on, you know, up here. Well, I, I got to be victorious, or at least I got to make people think. I'm victorious. But from time to time, it just so happens that we're not. The psalmist found himself in this kind of a circumstance. In this kind of a situation, the psalmist found himself in a moment of life that was terribly, terribly discouraging. In fact, he says this in verse 6. He says, My soul is downcast, within me. The, the writer is crying out to God, whether it was David, we're not really sure. Maybe it was Korah, we, we're not sure. But the Bible indicates, and we know this about David, and David, if David was not the author of the psalm and somebody else was, it's okay. But David authored some other psalms that were similar to this in how it was that he felt. But remember, the Bible describes him, according to God, and from God's perspective, that he was a man after God's own heart. And in the middle of all of that, a man after God's own heart would have to experience such intense discouragement. The times that we go through trials, Peter reminds us in the New Testament, and he says this to the people that he's writing to, people who had been persecuted for their faith. People who had, as they are giving themselves to serving Jesus, had had people come against them, persecute them, not just, you know, making fun of them. You know, that, that words can, can really cut, but the bottom line is, when they start hurling stones at you, when they start doing things to you, then that becomes an intense persecution. And Peter writes to them, and he says this. He says in First in Peter, I believe it is chapter 4, I think verse 12. Uh, I'm going out of memory here. So, but just the Bible says this. Peter writes this in chapter 4. He says, don't think it's strange at the fiery trials that you're going through. We think it's strange, don't we? From time to time, when we're going through those trials we think it shouldn't be happening. We get mad. We get upset at God. We think, God, how could you let this happen to me? And yet, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that in the middle of all of that, God is refining you. God is doing something in you. God is working out His plan in your life. Nobody likes it. Trust me. I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, I don't like the fiery trials. I don't like... When things are difficult, I want comfort, I want ease, just put me on a beach in Bora Bora and I'll be happy the rest of my life. Well, not really, because what happens when you run out of money and, you know, you you got to find a way to live? You know, that that happens too on occasion, but, you know, we, we think that somehow comfort and ease is the way out of it. There are people in the world today, brothers and sisters, who in the midst of all of their pursuits, they're pursuing money, they have tons of it, but the bottom line is they're as miserable as the day is long. They can't even begin to get their heads around why it is they're so stinking unhappy. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, the psalmist found himself in the midst of a situation that was discouraging, that was difficult, and the Bible says he's literally almost talking to himself saying, You know, why are you so downcast within yourself? Soul, why are you so downcast? Why are you so discouraged? Well, he was. He was being true to himself. I'm discouraged. But then I like how the fact that he begins to question himself. But why are you? Well, because of this, because of that. Yes, but, let's get into this, shall we? The Bible says this in verse 6. It says, my soul is downcast within me. My soul is downcast within me. The Israelites, when they came out of Egypt, they were discouraged because of the way that God had taken them. Now, they weren't discouraged at the fact that he opened up the Red Sea. They weren't discouraged at the fact that he had made a road where there was no road. But when they got on the other side and they recognized... You know, this this soil over here is not the fertile soil that we're used to back in the land of Goshen. We're not used to this arid kind of desert land where we can't plant anything, we can't do anything here. There's There's no food over here. And they got out there in the middle of all of those things. And the Bible indicates that they began to murmur and they began to complain. And you know what? They had the same kind of attitude that we often have in the midst of our troubles. They were discouraged, and yet instead of pursuing God, they just pursued the end of their own disgusting attitudes. And they rebelled. You see, when you pursue the end of your own attitudes, there is only one option, rebellion. Unless you repent. Unless you say, God, I'm coming to you, and I, I forgive me. Lord, help me when you pursue it and you go after it, the only thing that's left is the rebellion that we read about in the Old Testament when they came against Moses, they came against the people of God, or came against the leaders of Israel, there was rebellion. And you know, brothers and sisters, I want to let you know today that the enemy will try his best to wear you down through discouragement. He will do his best the same way that he was trying to wear down the psalmist through discouragement through what it was that the psalmist was going through. He was downcast. There was something that was going on that caused his emotions to sink. It caused him to go below the level that he could swim and he felt like he was drowning. I want you to know the enemy wants you to be in that kind of position. The Bible says the thief does not come to, to do anything good he comes only to steal to kill and to destroy if he can get you to sink and to drown in your discouragement instead of looking up saying God I need your help I want you to know he'll do that see we remember the story of Peter as he was out in the boat in the storm and Jesus the Bible says came walking on the water there's something that Peter did we know we talk about it a lot I've, I've preached on this passage before but you know Peter get out there on the water and we often talk about his lack of faith you know that he took his eyes off Jesus and he put it on his surroundings he put it on the fact that he was doing something he, no human being was supposed to do walking on water and he realized not only am I walking on water and I'm not supposed to do that but there's a storm And the Bible tells us that he took his eyes off Jesus. But you know what he did? He also did this. That even as he was beginning to sink, he cried out to the Master. And I want you to know, you may be be you may be starting to sink today. It may be that you're so discouraged that you're just you're going lower and you're going lower and you're going lower. Can I tell you, you cry out to the Master, you say, but Pastor, you don't understand. Two hours from now, it's going to be the same feeling. Then two hours from now, you cry out to the Master. In those, those moments, we, we find ourselves in the midst of discouragement thinking we're going to go under and nobody's going to be able to rescue us. I want you to know there is a God who loves you. There's a God who cares about you. There's somebody in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your moment, who says I will reach down and I can pick you up. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He picked Peter up and then he walked him back to the boat. On top of the water, by the way. You see, you can always walk on top of the water when you're holding the hand of the Master. And that's exactly what he did. He walked on that water back to the boat. Uh, Brothers and sisters, when discouragement comes, don't allow the enemy to say, look at what's around you. Oh, listen, you look at what's around you, you're going to swirl under. You're going to go down, you're going to go under. But God has a plan to bring the discouraged up and to lift you above the circumstance. The enemy will do his best to do that, to wear you down. The Israelites were discouraged because of the way that God had led them. He led them into the desert, and they began to complain. They began to murmur. They began to get upset. But, you know, some are cast down in their spirits and in their hearts because of maybe sickness. Maybe there is just something that keeps coming back. Maybe there is something that you can't seem to win the battle over in your physical body. And discouragement can come and can settle in in the midst of all of that. And you wonder, why? Why at this point is this happening? And we begin to doubt and we begin to wonder. We begin to get discouraged can I just tell you today, discouragement is going to come. But when it comes, please begin to look up to your, your, your Master. Look up to your Savior. Because the Bible says, look up for your redemption draws near. Your redemption comes. God is in control. God will help you. God will minister to you. You say, but is God going to completely heal me? I don't know if He will or won't. I just know that He is a God who loves you, who cares for you, that whether He decides to or He decides to just allow you to go through that... I want you to know there is a great God in heaven who cares about you in spite of what you're going through. It could be that there are problems at home. Difficulties that you're faced with on a regular basis. Maybe some young person looks around in their home and they say I just I don't get it. I don't get it. And all of that discouragement can come and can settle in. Maybe there are financial troubles things that are difficult to handle on a regular basis just always trying to always struggling never seems to be enough it could be that discouragement just gets piled on top of it it makes the battle it makes the fight that much more difficult you see when you're when you're going through something if you have hope you can, you can fight those things head on, but as soon as the enemy, uh, you allow the enemy, because I believe that we have hope. Hope is found in Christ, but when we, we take our eyes off Him, we drain ourselves of hope. I have become, over the last year, I've become convinced that hope is the absolute essential of life. That it's not just love. We know love is. Trust me, people need love. But i got to tell you that if somebody does not have hope, They cannot find love. You've got to have hope. If the enemy can drain you of your hope, then he has gotten you to a place where you are defeated. He wants to drain you of that hope. But listen to what the Bible tells us here and and what the Bible says in verse 6. So the question is, what was his cure? Here's what it was. He says this, Therefore, in verse 6, I will... Remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, wherever he was, he says, I will remember you, O God. You know, most of us we're stuck in remembering how bad our life has been. We're stuck in remembering how problematic things are at the moment. We are stuck with remembering in our current situation how difficult things are. But I want you to see what the psalmist does. The psalmist takes his vision, he takes his, his gaze, his, the way he looks, and he lifts it from off his situation and he says, Lord, I'm going to remember you. Because you know what? God is the most powerful one in your circumstance. He is the one who is able to come into your situation and help you in the midst of it all. He remembers the Lord. That is going to be your cure. Right now, we're going to just get into the cure for a minute. It is remembering God. Not remembering how bad things are. Not remembering how difficult your life has been. But remembering the power of God, that God was able to do things that nobody else was. I can imagine that maybe David remembered back when God had made a road in the midst of a sea. There was a sea there. There was a the Red Sea in front of the people of Israel. And God said, eh, today we're just going to put you know, two big giant aquariums on either side of this. And we're just going to roll the waters back. And I'm going to let my people go through and they're going to go through on dry ground. We're going to make a road where there won't be a road after this day. But there's going to be a road today. You know, God does that sometimes. Sometimes... He'll make a road where there seems to be no road, and then you look behind you and you're like, that wasn't a road, but God somehow made a road. He made a way. He made a way where there was no way. Maybe David remembers that, that God had made a way where there was no way. He remembered possibly what he had heard about as he had read the Pentateuch, as he had heard those stories relayed to him, as he had read those stories first five books of the the Bible that we have today and he had heard how it was that when they came to a particular brook they went and they were so happy because there was water now in the desert but when they drank the waters the Bible says the waters were bitter so God said to Moses I want you to throw in some branches in there and it's going to make those waters sweet how God had taken care of his people he remembered the Lord He remembered on another occasion how it was that when the people of Israel came to a place, there was no water. All there were were rocks, just rocks. Moses said, this is where we're going to camp. But Moses, we don't have any water here. God says, Moses, go down there and that rock over there. I want you to strike the rock. And he hit that rock. And when he hit that rock, water poured out of it and came out and supplied them with the water that they needed to be sustained. Sometimes you don't see it immediately, and yet God was able to make a way in that situation. He remembered that God was powerful enough to do that. They get out into the desert, and they said, but wait a minute, what are we going to do about food? How are we going to handle this? We have no food. We have no means of of getting food. Well, I'm going to rain down manna from heaven every day for six days. And on the sixth day, you collect enough for the following day, the Sabbath, but know this, If you collect more than you need on any other day, it's going to spoil and it's going to rot. Just go out and collect what you need for that day. But on that sixth day, get what you need for that Sabbath day and I will preserve it for that day. And that's exactly what they did on another occasion. They said, we want some meat. We're tired of this, whatever it was. And literally the word manna means, what is it? It just, it just, it's manna. It's what is it? So we're tired of this. We want some meat. God says, all right, some quail. Their wings are going to be, you know, just all of a sudden fail them. They're going to fall down right in front of you, and you're going to have a feast of quail. But the problem is you complain too much, so I'm going to give you more than you need. You're going to get so sick of quail that you're going to pray for manna to come back. God took care of his people when they had no food. God made the wall of Jericho fall for Joshua gave him great victories in that land. Maybe David or or the psalmist was remembering all of these things that God did. You see, it could be that he had to remember his own victories. You know, from time to time, we need to take a trip down memory lane and say, you know what, God has done some great things in my life. Maybe in the moment, it doesn't seem like anything good's happening, but you know what, God has done Some wonderful things. It's like we sing that chorus. He has done great things. He has done great things. It doesn't matter what you're going through in the moment. God, look at the victories that you've had. We can remember what Christ, uh, remember Jesus Himself. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. we got to remember Jesus. That He's on our side. That He's with us. I have overcome the world. And he would take the Lord with him. Wherever he went, he says, Lord, I'm going to remember you from the land of Jordan, the valley of Jordan. I'm going to remember you from the heights in Hermon, up in the mountains, where the snow collects on the, those mountain-capped uh, uh, play, uh, those snow-capped mountains. I'm gonna, I'm gonna remember you, no matter whether I go to the depths or I go to the heights. Lord, I'm gonna remember that you're always with me. What did the psalmist write in Psalm 139? He says, he said, if I ascend into heaven, behold, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, Lord, you're there. That is an amazing thought. That no matter where we go, no matter what's happening, you know, God is with you. He's walking with you to help you to encourage you. Now listen. Verse 7 seems to indicate this. Though he's remembering, though he is saying, Lord, you are my cure, I'm remembering you, something happens in verse 7. And this is what happens. The trial seems to intensify. Listen to what it says. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Now listen, all your waves and breakers Have swept over me. It's almost as if He's saying, Lord, I'm downcast, I'm discouraged, I'm down. And it seems like sometimes the problem is intensified. Lord, all the waves are sweeping over me. I've been at the ocean. You know, Lake Michigan's like a little wading pool by comparison. The ocean, the waves keep coming. And if you've ever been by the ocean, I've been down uh, in Rhode Island, there there was an area there that was down by the bay after a hurricane had blown through, which pretty much the two hurricanes I've ever been in in my life, I slept through both of them. Uh, They were just that, you know, they weren't of that great effect in that particular area. Uh, But I've been down to the, 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 the water when right after the hurricane, the waves are still tumultuous and there's still you know, they're just coming in. They're so forceful and so scary. We've even seen on Lake Michigan when the wind blows. You drive around that one area, that stretch right here in Rogers Park heading up into Evanston right around on Sheridan Road and you're going and you, you come around. The rocks are right there. The lake is right there and the, the water is just coming up and spraying onto the, the street. I mean, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. Those waves are scary. You wouldn't put yourself in those waves if you chose to, but somehow some, somebody can get caught in those waves and and they can't get out of them because they just keep coming and it it just sweeps over them and it's overpowering and sometimes that's how our trials are that's how our difficulties are you would think that job after you know after he lost his family that that and and after he lost all of his wealth that You know, it wouldn't be so bad. But now he's got boils from the top of his head. I've never had a boil. I'm not interested. I hear they're painful. But he had boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And he's sitting there in the dust wondering, when is it all going to end? It seems to intensify. From time to time, our problems come. And then they just keep coming. And they keep coming. And they keep coming in greater measure more intensity, greater in number. And we wonder, God, how, how am I ever going to make it through? What am I ever going to do in all of this situation? But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, Job found the answer in the end. The answer was that God is in control, that God is in charge. Even Jonah, you know, you think about Jonah. Jonah knew he was wrong. He, he got himself into the mess. You know, he's one of those guys who trouble didn't happen to him. He made the trouble for himself. And now he's inside the belly of a big fish. He wasn't there just for five minutes when it was dark and it was terrible and it probably stank to the high heavens. And God only knows what, what else was inside the belly of that fish. And here's Jonah. And Jonah, the time is passing. He's got no way to tell the time, of course. And the time is passing. It's going on and on. Three days. Think about it for a minute. We don't often focus on how long he spent in the belly of that fish. But three days, trust me, you go for, you know, four or five hours in a bad situation and you're just ready to get out of it. But three days, and then finally the end comes. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that God has an end in store for your trouble. He has an end in store for that intensifying situation. Because here's what the psalmist did, and I think it's important for all of us to do this in verse 8, and I end with this. The Bible says this, By day the Lord directs His love. At night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Here's what happens. He puts his confidence in God. He not only remembers God, but he puts his confidence in God. He says, God, I'm going to trust in You. I'm going to hope in You. I'm going to put my confidence in You. And he does just That He says, Lord, I'm going to pray to you the God of my life. A prayer to the God of my life. Brothers and sisters, when you don't know what else to do, pray. When you don't know what else to do in the midst of your discouragement, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your fear, and you're not quite sure how it is that you're going to make it, can I encourage you? Begin to pray to the God of your life. The God who will sustain you. The God who's going to help you. The God who will encourage you. Joseph had his confidence in the Lord. Joseph's down in Egypt. He doesn't know what's going on, but he still trusted in God. He still believed in God. In fact, he's wasting away in prison after he had shared, you know, the interpretation of dreams to two guys, one of whom is, you know, he was going to... get meet his end the other guy who was going to be exalted back into the king's court and he's waiting to hear word for that guy who goes back into the king's court remember remember the guy who helped you out here nobody no forgets about him but he has confidence confidence to the point where finally when the man the butler remembered what it was that happened to him and the same thing is now happening to pharaoh he says i know a guy it's always great to have a guy you know it's always great to know a guy. I know a guy who's good at this. And listen, you've got you to call him. He's in jail right now. Why? Well, we won't get into that, but you know what? He's he's pretty good at this. Nobody could tell Pharaoh the interpretation of the dream. Joseph says, listen, I can't tell you either, but you know what? God can tell us. See, in all of that, in everything that Joseph went through, he still put his confidence in God. Brothers and sisters, it may be difficult to do that in your situation, but can I encourage you that in the midst of your discouragement, you go after God. You run after Him, which is what the first part of the psalm is all about. Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2, it lets us know this. The psalmist cries out and says as a deer pants for the water brook so my soul longs after you oh God in a dry and a thirsty place I long for you. Listen, go after God and put your confidence in Him regardless of how discouraged you may be. Moses certainly had to be discouraged when all of Israel was you know, ready to just take him out. And yet Moses prayed. Moses called on God. Daniel, the same thing. He put his confidence in God. The three Hebrew young men, when they were faced with a fiery furnace and an angry king, they said, Listen, king, you know what? Our God that we serve, he is able. He is able to deliver us from your hand, O king, and from this fiery furnace. But you know what? If he doesn't, guess what? We're still going to serve him. We're going to love him. We're going to go after him. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of your trouble, you know what? They still had to go into the furnace. They had to go in there but it didn't have the effect that the enemy intended. You see, that's the difference with our trials that we go through. The enemy means harm. The enemy means let me bring you down. Let me try to discourage you to the point where you will give up. And yet God is able in the midst of all of those things to come to your aid and to come to your side and to help you and to bring you through on the other side of those things. He had confidence. The psalmist had confidence in the Lord. The question is, where's your confidence today? in my situation. It better not be because your situation is always changing. My confidence is in my ability to figure it out. Well, don't because there are going to be some things that you're not going to be able to figure out. My confidence is in my job. Oh, don't put your confidence there. Trust me. All it takes is one good fell swoop of the market to tank and you'll be without one. Don't put your confidence in your relationships. Because sometimes those relationships don't work in the way that you had anticipated. Don't put your confidence in any amount of money that you have in the bank because that can be gone in an instant with some emergency, some tragedy, something that can take place. It's all of a sudden history. It's gone. And in that moment now, you're left with nothing. So who are we going to put our confidence in? We've got to trust in the Lord. We've got to say, Lord, our prayer is to You. You give me a song in the night. You give me something worth living for. When even in difficulties and struggles and burdens and problems. In the midst of all of that, God, I want to pursue You and go after You with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. Can we stand to our feet together today?